0: what's up edgy gamers on today's episode we are talking about running tabletop rpg games in a library setting or any other kind of program we're talking with hamid and we're going to discuss some early beginner tips as well as look at some expert tips some things maybe you have not considered if you're already doing something similar so let's jump into the episode board gaming with education a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix we explore various topics like game-based learning gamification and board games and the impacts they have on learning here's your host dustin stats all right, before we get into the episode, make sure you subscribe and tap the bell below. This is one way to stay up to date with Board Game with Education through these video cast episodes. Or if you're on a podcast, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So I want to share some updates with you with Board Game with Education. First up, every Wednesday, we also go live to have a casual chat, a stream, and we play some games. We're always looking for guests, so if you're interested send me an email, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. We'll get you on the show. Uh, We also like to end that show with a game. And with that game as an audience, you're able to engage with us live. So really awesome way to check out some games that might be useful for your learning environment. Have some fun and play some games with us. Also, if you sign up to our website, boardgamewitheducation.com, if you register, you receive 500 complimentary EduGamer points, that's a welcome bonus that you can use those points on future purchases. So make sure you sign up there. Also, we're doing a couple other updates that you can find more information on that in our newsletter, BoardGameWithEducation.com, but I'll share it here really quickly. We're looking for other contributors for resources to help us with expanding our resources at BoardGameWithEducation.com. And also, we're going to be launching a board game crate. So that is an opportunity to help you get set up Whether that's at home for some games or in your learning environment or if you're an after school program or if you homeschool. So it's a box of different board games and it's a curated selection based on your preferences. There's a short survey you complete and we curate a selection of board games specifically for you. So those are some updates with Board Game with Education. Again, make sure you subscribe, tap the bell. It's the best way to stay up to date and let's get into that chat with Hamid. All right, so I want to talk about something that Hamid talks about at the end of the episode, but I want to share just really quick right up front. It says Kickstarter happening right now, malfunctioning and malicious magic items. Really cool project. It's about different magical items that your tabletop RPG group uh, uh, might stumble upon, and some of these items have some malfunctioning things. Uh, So the art looks really cool, um, really awesome-looking magic items here. Uh, you can take a look at the all the items that are available and check out the Kickstarter. He's got some uh, rewards and different stretch goals that he wants to unlock, too. So check it out, and let's get into the conversation with Hamid. All right, so welcome to another video cast episode of Board Game with Education. Super excited to be joined by Hamid Printer today. He's going to talk to us about tabletop RPGs and Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm excited because my experience with tabletop RPGs is pretty limited, but I know how powerful they can be for uh, youth engagement. And also, I love to use some of the mechanics in my classroom. Um, so I'm excited to chat more about you, maybe pick your brain a little bit about your experience. Uh, but before we do, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit?
1: For sure. Uh, so my name is Hamid Printer. I'm a senior youth service specialist at the Toronto Public Library. Uh, so that just means that I do a lot of admin work on system-level projects. Uh, my portfolio, I'm in charge of um, teen spaces, volunteering, and placement students uh, across all 100 of our branches. Uh, and before that, I was a children teen librarian. Um, and I also have a background in teaching, so I used to do elementary. Awesome.
0: So when- this again i like to throw questions in here i didn't prep before so when you were an elementary teacher did you use any uh like game game based or gamification or any games as a part of your teaching
1: uh i did so it was before game i'm dating myself now it was before, before gamification was like really a thing and so i would try and incorporate a lot of interactive elements i'm working with younger children it's like the best way to get them to learn so um for instance we made a monopoly board i remember i think it was a great two classroom that was learning about um uh, community spaces and so it was a good way where we basically rebuilt the community around the school um using monopoly and then they could go around and then the different like chants and uh cards like that had information that they could use so i have been doing it but at that point i wasn't focused on I didn't have it in my mind that I was trying to gamify anything. It was just, oh, this is a cool idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's super awesome. I think what I find talking with teachers, they realize, and when you talk about game-based learning and gamification and talk about that journey, a lot of us have used stuff like that without realizing, oh, we were incorporating game-based learning. We were using gamification techniques. So that's really cool. I like that idea of using Monopoly, especially for second graders. Like, You don't need a super intricate... Game mechanic, but it gives them the opportunity to kind of get up and explore and kind of see this as a tangible thing. Um, Yeah, that's really cool. So let's let's go into our topic. Would you mind? So we were chatting a little bit about this, and I know when I first got into tabletop RPGs, I did not realize how many there are out there. So would you mind kind of sharing what is so? What is Dungeons and Dragons, and then what is the broader idea of tabletop role playing games?
1: For sure. Um, So Dungeons & Dragons is a role-playing game. It typically takes place in a a fantasy setting. So think like Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thrones. And what you do is you, uh, it's an open world where uh, players work together collaboratively in a party. And they go off and they have specific goals, objectives, or quests that they want to complete. And there's usually um, a dungeon master or a game master. So they're like the narrator of the game. Um, Their job is to describe situations, environments, that the players find themselves in, um, also help direct them and then they also take on the role of all the, the characters that aren't you know your players. So they would be um, the village person that's going to give you information. They're going to play as the bad guys. Uh, so that's typically how it works. And a lot of role-playing games use uh, dice as a mechanic. So you'd roll a dice and that would give you um, information on how successful your character is at completing a task that they mentioned that they want to do.
0: That's awesome. And just to kind of want to talk about a couple things. You mentioned dice as a mechanic and that is something that uh, another guest and I've used in the classroom, just like something super simple like that. I had a really big die and I use that in my my university level classrooms. And we would just toss it around the class like it was a foam die. So it, you know, it got my students' attention. It's something pretty novel for them too. Um, but that's something I would suggest as a teacher if you can incorporate dice somehow um, to kind of bring some novelty to the classroom um but you also mentioned so we were talking before again too and i want to bring this up you mentioned when you were using Dungeons and dragons and you first discovered it and i kind of experienced the same thing i'm a little overwhelmed uh you mentioned that there's like in the book they talk about food consumption per day um but then i watched a video where this father was playing Dungeons and Dragons with his three and a half year old daughter. So, could you speak to maybe how easy it is for either players or uh, dungeon masters or game masters to uh, start picking up and playing tabletop RPGs or Dungeons and Dragons?
1: For sure, yeah. Like you mentioned, when I first got in, I got the the rule book, and uh, actually I have it right over here, uh, and it's it's pretty massive. Uh, Sorry, my screen yeah. is being blocked. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty massive. Um, Wizards of the Coast, so they're the publishers of Dungeons & Dragons, they actually put out um, a trim down, like a, a slim version of the rule set, which is free. So it's great because you can go to their website, you can download it. It's, it's almost like basketball or soccer where you don't, as long as you have one thing, you don't need all the other things to, to run. So it makes it insanely simple to get into. Um, but in terms of rules, you don't want to get cut down in the weeds um, in terms of consumption, like how far people could travel per day. Um, You essentially want to set up a a scenario where you have a group of people that need to overcome um, some kind of challenge or accomplish something, and you just let them run with it. And so uh, an example, that I I'll probably use later in this as well. is let's just say you need to get from point A to point B and there's a bridge along the way and there's a troll that's saying, well, you need to pay a toll. So that could be your whole game where you throw your players down and you're like, okay, your goal is to get to the other side of the country. Uh, it's divided by this raging river that you can't cross aside from this one bridge. There's a troll that's guarding that space and he won't let you pass unless you pay the toll. What do you do? And that can literally just be your setup. Um, one thing that I mentioned especially if you're a new person um, who's either running the game or is part of the game is because it's open world you get stuck in this paradox of choice where you're not sure what you can do there's so many options that you don't know what to do and you get stuck and so what i do with new players as a, a dungeon master is i'll give them a couple of options so i'll say uh you know you're at the you're at the toll do you want to pay the troll do you want to attack the troll or do you want to find another way around and that way the players still have agency they, they feel like okay well I know what to do and it guides them. Um, but they don't feel like they're just being told what to do. Like you're railroading them and saying, well, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, the rules, the trim down rules are a lot less intimidating than than the book that I just showed. Um, and uh, they're, they're worth a read, but you basically just want to pick up the the core dynamic, which is, um, you know, how a character sheet is set up. So that gives you all the information about a player, Um, learn a little bit about their abilities, and then just the general, like, what can you do on your turn? So those, I'd say, would be like the three core tenets that you want to pick up.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love the suggestion of providing players with options because for me, when I first started playing tabletop RPGs and I had a pretty good GM um, and we didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, my first tabletop RPG was this GM's made version of a tabletop RPG called at the time it was called Northern Realms. I think he's renamed it. Um, but he he was able to give us options because as a board game player, I'm very familiar with structures and systems and not, <laughs> not being able to do anything I want to, which I, you can essentially do in a tabletop RPG. Um, and you mentioned railroading, which is, I think, important and something to maybe kind of just talk about briefly. And could you explain a little bit what that means?
1: Uh, so, railroading is a term where you're stuck on tracks. You have a, a definitive starting point, in, starting point and end point, um, and it's typically whoever is the game master, they have a story that they've come up with, so they want you to get from here to here, but they'll say you have to follow their specific path to get there, versus players might you know, go all, all around. So you want to make sure that players do have a sense that they can do something. So if, let's say, a player rolls the dice because they want to do an action that maybe you hadn't thought of, if they roll well and normally their character would be able to do that you don't want to say well no because it doesn't fit what i want you to do um so it it can be demoralizing for characters it can be frustrating as well if or for players if they're trying to play this game and they're only allowed to do things that you have set out for them Um, one pitfall that a lot of especially new dungeon masters fall into is you've come up with a story you know all the encounters and bad guys and um, information cues that you're going to have set up but the players don't know any of that so they're coming to the space they have no idea what they're going to encounter and so let them do whatever they like uh, so an example of this is I'm I'm going to keep using the troll bridge as my, as my example. Um, you might have this this bridge and you're just like, okay, well, even if there's no troll, I want them to cross the river and I'm going to get them to do this. Well, I've had players in similar situation where they're like, I'm not going by that bridge because that's there's it's the only feature I see. There's clearly something there. I don't I don't want to yeah. risk it being a trap. Let's figure out a different way to do this, and then they'll find like a sapling and they'll try and make a catapult out of it. So they'll spend like two hours doing the stuff and in your mind you're just like just cross the bridge (laughs) this is literally the setting before the actual game so in terms of railroading like um you you don't want to force your players to do something that they don't want to because the the biggest thing is it's a shared experience so if they're having fun then you're doing a good job um if you force them to do certain things then you do take away a lot of that fun but giving specific options as well where you can say you know There's a bridge that's over here, so you can try and cross it. Maybe you want to check beforehand to see if there's any traps or or any markings around it that indicate that it's unsafe. So you can still steer them in a certain way, but you don't want to say, no, you have to go take this bridge.
0: Right, right. There's um, this idea in, I guess, board games, too, is dangling that carrot in front of the player, right? You want them to work towards that carrot, and how can you uh, help them realize that carrot is there, I suppose. Um, that's something. So one thing that we did with gamification in the classroom is lean into this narrative-based learning and use world, it's Worlds XP as a gamification toolkit. We we used um, and we created opportunities for students to um, kind of experience the story and learn the end of the story. So that's kind of the motivation for the students. Um, So I kind of want to maybe shift into a new topic, too, um, because you've ran these at libraries and in communities uh, in where you're at. What are the first steps you would give to someone that's kind of looking to do this? Maybe they have a little bit of experience with tabletop RPGs, or maybe they have very little. Um, What would you suggest for them to, or where would you suggest for them to start?
1: Yeah, I've, um, I've done it in person before the pandemic. Um, I've also done virtual. So I, I can talk about both, but I'll start with with in person because they're two different animals. Um, so the first thing that I would do is I would go to Wizards of the Coast to get that that free rule set. If you have an opportunity, I recommend to anyone, if you have a friend who runs it, jump into a game um, because then you get to experience it, you understand it better. Uh, it, it's like playing golf. Like watching golf isn't the most exciting thing in the world, but if you're playing, it's a little more fun. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. once you have that experience, when you're planning for yourself, you know what certain points are. You have that experience as, you know, a new person coming in. So you understand what your audience is going to go through. Um, I'm quickly going to check. I have some notes to make sure I don't forget anything. Um, In person, there's a number of, of considerations. So in terms of, Um, Playing, it's great because you get a sense of what it's like both as a player and and as the game. You want to pick up the rules um, and you want to just read them through quickly. The main thing, as I mentioned before, is character sheets. So character sheets um, is this sheet with a ton of different numbers and writing on it. They can look very intimidating. Uh, It's actually not too bad if you break it down. So understanding what that's like, because you'd also have to explain that to your, your players or participants that's coming in. Uh, for anyone at home who is looking at a character sheet, um, the way it's broken down, it's it's almost three columns. So the first column on the left-hand side is uh, abilities and bonuses that your character gets when you're, you're rolling. The middle is like your your bread and butter, so that's your your health, um, uh, your inventory, so things that you're carrying, and then your your weapons. So that's like the main part you're going to focus on. The right side is information about your your character and abilities. Um, so that's like the easy way of going through. The rules do go through character creation. And all you really need to know about that is you mix and match three elements. So three categories, which is uh, race, class, and background. Uh, Race is the type of creature you are. So I'm going to use Ninja Turtles as an example. So you could be a turtle, you could be a rhino, you could be a rat, you could be a human. Um, And then your class is, that's where you're going to get a lot of your abilities and your upgrades. So if that would be something like a wizard or a fighter. So as you level Mm. up, like in a video game, that's where you're going to get more of your stuff. And then the third element that you're going to mix in is something called your background. And um, that is just general information about what you're doing before you start adventuring. And when you choose your background, it gives you uh, your starting money. It gives you uh, some extra items in your backpack and it gives you uh, s- some extra abilities. So that's like the Coles note version of, of like a character sheet. Um, so you want to go through the rules, understand the character sheets, and then also look through what the actions are. They're explained really well in the rules. So if it's someone's turn, like here's everything you can do, just like in a board game, when it's your turn, you want to know what, what elements you can do uh, in terms of character sheets. I mentioned you can download the rule books for free on their website. They have pre-made character sheets as well. So you don't have to make them because that can get complicated. You can just pre-download them. Uh, once you have all those resources and you become acquainted with it, uh, a, a number of other things that you want to consider are your audience. Um, are you doing this for adults, teens, uh, children? Is it uh, a mixed group? Like, are you doing all the demographics? Is it open to everyone? And then you also want to consider space and size. So Dungeons and Dragons... Um, typically it runs best between two to six players um because you can manage everything so if you're in a, a community center or if you're in a library and you're used to doing programs with 50 people this may not be the best one or it might be something that you want to tack on to say a, a regular gaming program so you have board mm. games on one side and then anyone who wants to participate it's on this other side um, so two to six people in person you can double up so you can get people to work in teams so you can get up to like 14. you don't want to go beyond that because Again, with a lot of new people and a lot of content to, to inform, it can get really complicated. Right. Um, and then one of the other things that I would recommend is making sure that you time everything out. So having at least half an hour set up, half an hour of, of uh, cleanup time, and then a minimum of two hours in between. So the, those two hours is to make sure that you can answer questions, set people up. The buffer time, uh, you would need time to set up regardless, but you also... Uh, I, having worked in community spaces, I know that things pop up and maybe you get delayed in getting to your program. So it just gives you a little mm, more space. So right, once you're right. there, you're okay. And then I guess the final thing is figuring out how you're going to deliver the information. So what time are you going to do it? Um, how are you going to present the information? Is it going to be a series? Is it a one-off? When I ran it myself in my library, I did uh, an introduction to Dungeon Dragons. So mine was open to anyone who wants to join. And it was um, structured in six series. So people knew like every Tuesday evening, come down for like a month and a half. And at the beginning, I did 20 minutes, which is just here's general information about the game. So one week was here's everything you need to know about character creation. The next one is everything you need to know about magic systems. And then oh, okay. we would jump into the game and play. And oh, so cool. what that allowed me to do is they got a little more information right off the bat. So they're more comfortable once we do start playing, did start playing. But then also if people are coming in late because we are doing it after school. So I know, you know, getting to another space can take time. They didn't miss any of the actual gameplay.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love that tip is the, the 20 minutes you share like part of the game, but it's like just going over stuff that is maybe new to players. Like I think if I would have a 20 minute introduction to the magic system and, on a separate day that as a 20 minute introduction to characters, right. That would not overwhelm me as a player. And then also just from the practical side, people are late, (laughs) so you can wait till people come and you have everyone there. Uh, Yeah. And I want to go back to the character creation. So you mentioned like the background. And then I would also say that one thing, because I did my first GM game and I am 100% happy to help my characters come up with their characters and, Help yeah. them walk through that process. So if you are a new player, definitely talk to your game master because they are probably more aware of the rules than new players are. And also you don't need to know your backstory right when you start, right? You can always develop that as you go. You can just know like a little bit about who your character is, but then kind of build on that as you as you go through your I guess your uh, adventure.
1: For sure, yeah. So there are these things called session zeros, where before the game, um, you meet with your your game master, and then you can go over a lot of the information with them, helping to build your character. Um, I recently did that with my group. So I've been playing with a, a group of friends during the pandemic and we completely reset. So we're back to level one. We sat down, we, we did that process. We also went through the background um, only because they had been used to it at this point. So we're like, oh, okay, we can do it right now. Um, but I like asking a bunch of funnier questions, like what's a tangible fear that you have? Like, are you afraid of spiders? Because that helps them role play it's a it's a very mm. small question right it's not like a, a, you're developing your backstory but everyone has some kind of fear so if they say that they're uh, afraid of bees uh, it's a character trait that their their character can play out but then for me who's running the game i can say you know you've come across this field and there's bees flying around and now it's a, it's a challenge when otherwise you say oh i don't care i'm gonna walk past these things But you have a, one character who's completely terrified of bees
0: <laughs> that's funny yeah kind of creates an extra dynamic and then as a as a game master you can yeah lean into those things and bring them into the story in the future right because you know yeah. you have some secrets on their characters <laughs>
1: um there's two other things that that came to mind in terms of if you're running this in person and and one of them is um setting up expectations so we were talking about backgrounds and you don't really need it to begin with i'd recommend if you're doing in person doing one-off so a one-shot or one-off is you just play one game it's self-contained then it's done Um, but let people know at the beginning that what your expectations for the game are so it's this is for first level players you can feel free to be honest and say you know i'm new at this and so as we're playing through uh, maybe something will happen in the game and i might not know the rule so we'll come up with a decision we'll move on and then you know we can look up the stuff afterwards and so that helps with a lot of things so you don't um, if you have people coming in that are just excited because they like playing, uh, maybe they want to help and they're trying to correct your own rules, but can actually stagnate what you're doing. Um, so you want to give those expectations as well as like behavior, like what is disruptive behavior? Um, you know, you don't want to be disrespectful mm. to other players. You don't want to talk over other people. You also want to explain why that they're disruptive, because if you just say don't do this, you know, it can go in one ear, not the other. Again, people are excited and in that excitement. They might do things that they don't realize that they're doing. But if you say, you know, I don't want people talking over other people because we want to make sure that everyone's heard, then that's really good. And then the other thing, speaking of of character creation, is uh, I mentioned you can get those pre-generated characters that you can download online. When you bring people into play program, don't let them bring in their own characters. So I've, I've made this mistake where I had someone come in, they're like, I was running this first player like a first level session and i had a character who a person that came in they had a, a 12th level minotaur character i'm mm. like well for the game i'm playing like a bee can actually be hurtful and you're playing this one character who's like you know on his way to becoming a god so if you have these pre-generated ones just say you know yeah. what, you can choose between what we have here and the rationale for that is we want to make sure everyone's in the space they're on uh, equal footing it also is great because you understand those characters like you can look through them so then I would recommend you know let people choose and then they can introduce themselves so they can say you know i'm a rogue hobbit um and then after they introduce themselves so the group knows then you can also say you know as a hobbit this person has an extra ability where if they roll a one which is the worst you can roll they can roll again and so then you can tell them what's going on and you're not blindsided by someone saying well here's my character you know nothing about them or they might influence the game in a way that you're not expecting so those are two other considerations you want to keep in mind when you're you're doing um in person Um, The last one is, and this is because I I work in a library and I've worked with schools, um, there's three pillars of gameplay for Dungeon Dragon or general role-playing games, um, and that is combat, socializing, and exploration. So Dungeons and Dragons comes from a history of wargaming, and so when most people think of Dungeons and Dragons, they think of you know combat, which is great. That's my favorite part of the game, um, but that could be problematic in like a community setting or depending on your your audience, younger mm, um, right. players. You don't want to include violence or combat. There's other ways around that. So in terms of socializing and exploration, there's there's tons of. Um, things that you can do so you can create danger using traps you can pre uh, create challenges with with riddles and puzzles if you did want combat there's non-combative combat non combative there's a non-violence combat that you can do so okay. maybe your players are in a tournament so they're still fighting they're still using those same dynamics but right. it's in a game setting so they they just want to make sure that they can get top ranked they don't want to like actually hurt the other person that they're they're competing against so there are ways to incorporate it where you don't have you can make it uh, you know child friendly
0: right right yeah those are good tips and then so let's go into virtually what are some tips you have i, I mean we all kind of learned a lot this past year but what are some tips yeah. you have as far as uh, getting a game going for your library or community center or school virtually.
1: Yeah, so virtually, um, m- my experience was with a platform called Roll Twenty, which is free. So it's great because you just sign up, email, password, same as you know every other account, um, and it has a ton of functionality. Um, there's a lot of pluses and benefits. So for me as a, a, a for me running the game, or you know someone out there who's trying to create one a program for their class or the community center it's amazing because you don't have to worry about a lot of the extra things that you would do in person. So you don't have to worry about making a map. You can just download one and put it in. You you don't have to worry about making characters. You could just drop them in as well. Um, So that makes things a lot easier. And then once you create something, so I have a murder mystery that I I created for my group and I've done it in a way where, you know, multiple people could be the murderer. And so once I've, I've made it once, I can reuse that as many times as I like. So it's a lot of front end work, Mm -hmm. but then you can, Uh, then it's just a matter of logging in and it's ready for you. So there's a lot of great benefits um, built in directories. So you don't have to worry about rules. On the flip side, there are a lot more challenges being virtual. I think the biggest one is access to technology. And so this is both for participants, but also for, um, you know, the person out there who wants to run these. So I work for a government institution. Uh, Sometimes we're not the best well-funded. And so having access to say a computer with a mic and a cam Mm -hmm. um yeah is just something as simple as that for either yourself or you know the person on the end um can be pretty hard i would say a microphone is should be um required period like that should be your your minimum threshold and the reason for that is so world 20 has a chat feature you can type in um, and you can communicate that way i know from personal experience i've run sessions where there's one or two players that only have chat and it just slows everything down and it, it makes it less fun for everyone else because it's almost mm. like you're anytime it's that person's turn um all the momentum stops because you you have to stop just because of the nature of it um, going virtual online even if you have a mic you don't have that same participation that you'd have in person where if you and i are next to each other if it's not our turns we could still be chatting about what we want to do versus virtually you have one audio channel and you know it's it's taken up by whoever is currently doing the turn. Um, chat is great for that where you can you know talk to each other in the chat to figure out what you want to do but it doesn't replace the interaction that we're used to at like a physical table um yeah
0: i'm just gonna say that that that's a good point i from my experience this past um about two months now i've been teaching part-time and i think what works okay i wouldn't say it's it's it would definitely be better doing a tabletop rpg game if everyone had a microphone. However, I think if you do not allow anyone on the microphone, like let's say you have like not very many people, majority players don't have access to a microphone or maybe you want to just try it out for part of the game where you only allow them to use chat. Uh, And then as the GM, you kind of take over the momentum and flow of the game. I've just kind of noticed that that's how it's worked for me in my classroom. Like I'm just the streamer and i'm like <laughs> i'm like yeah. uh, announcing what people are saying in chat and i and based on who says something first um that's just kind of how like some games work i'll say oh this person uh typed it first so it's gonna they're gonna get the point but i don't know i would be curious to see how that works it also gives me an idea of like as a gm maybe you've all lost your voice because there was a spell and you can see what what happens in the chat i don't know it was kind i of like cool.
1: that i i've actually been working with a teacher friend to figure out um what to do with their classroom because they want to they have students that are interested in dungeon dragons and they want to work it into their curriculum because we're getting towards mm-hmm. the end of the year so they covered a lot of what they've done um, yeah. the biggest challenge is i mentioned in person you can get like between two to like 14 people because you can double up online i would say you're Pretty much restricted to like that two to six uh, only because it becomes really unwieldy especially since you don't have these other engagement like you're not physically there um so if you have more than that it gets pretty complicated um so that's a big holdback in terms of 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 online um with mics and things like number of registrations or number of people who can join registration is great because you can outline what the session is going to be ahead of time so if you're promoting it online you can have a registration um, process that says you know we're accepting up to six people. Um, we it's best if you have a mic, and then you can send links out directly to those people instead of it being an open platform, which prevents you from dealing with you know any random person coming in and right. causing like purposely causing problems. Right. Um, yeah, teacher wise though, I'm classroom wise though. I was talking to my teacher friend, and what we came up with her group is because she has like 37 kids in her classroom mm-hmm. going virtual. Um, doing almost a choose your own adventure uh, scenario where they have a narrative thread and they go across. And so they have certain goals that they need to achieve, um, but there's barriers uh, before each one. So the example that her and I were talking about, she has a grade six classroom, um, was, okay, let's just say you, um, there's someone that hires you to Um, go fetch something for you which is something called a fetch quest you send your players off to to get something and bring it back Um, so first you have to go see them except you know it's a secret they don't want you to know what you're doing so you have to get past some guards, Mm -hmm. and then so that would be your general setup a lot more descriptive than that and then you open up to the class and you pull them so you give them those three options yeah Yeah. do you want to bribe the guard do you want to find another way in do you want to knock them unconscious and then depending on what they do, it might limit their reactions later on. So the next step that we had in the story that we developed was, okay, after they talk to this person um, in secret, they're going to go and they're going to make their way across the land to get whatever they're getting. And they come across this this river that is barreling down. Um, What are they going to do? Well, if they bribe the guards, they don't have money to say rent a boat to go across. And then now they need to figure out a different way. So you give them, you know, three options as well, but now one of the options was being able to pay for a boat. They don't have that, so they're, they're restricted to two. And so we we basically said, you have the story. It's almost like a branching path, but not really. It's still linear. They're getting from point A to point B, but they have right, choice right. in how they get there. And then um, what you would do afterwards is after they retrieve whatever they're doing, then they have to make their way back. So you start off with they have every single resource that they need, and they have a clear objective. And then they get it, and on their way back, well now. They've exhausted a number of resources. So if you get to a point where they're at that river, they have no money, they're tired from the track, so they can't swim, then you can open up to the class and say, okay, well, you know, we had options, but we can't do any of them anymore. What do you think as a class we should do? And then you have them right. come up with solutions. That's and awesome. so it's yeah. A, yeah. So it's a way where you can incorporate a lot of people together using polls. And then you have segmented points where you can talk as a big group, you can do breakout rooms and have them come up with solutions and present them as you come back. Um, But it's nice because they get this journey where they don't know what to expect as they're going, but then on their way back, they know what they're gonna face. So then when you get them to think about what are alternatives that you can do, they they're already primed to it.
0: Yeah, that's super awesome. I like the idea of um, giving agency to a larger group of people, right, and somehow creating that experience through polling or Uh, breakout rooms um, something that we again with the world's XP we that's meant for a classroom and it's a tabletop like RPG in a sense and we were trying to think of ways to how do we get 30 to 35 students involved in a tabletop RPG right and those are really great examples Um, so I want to before we kind of wrap up here um, do you have any tips for someone that is maybe already doing tabletop RPGs that they might not have considered before
1: yeah um one second I had a bunch of like I ran a game recently and I was writing down stuff that I wanted to yeah. to keep so I've I've notes on like GM tips while I search for that I'll just say in terms of you know there's a lot of benefits um involved with uh Dungeons and Dragons especially in a classroom library settings because you could tie it easily into things like um uh, your curriculum or if it's a community center program programs that you're doing so if you're doing a leadership program or public speaking you know it's it's easy to to branch off from these here we go i found my notes um i think the biggest thing for any dungeon master is keep it as simple as, as possible so in terms of story um you can get pre-generated stories which i recommend to anyone so uh, instead of you having to come up with everything on your own you can buy these these modules or these packs and you basically you go through it like a script and that way okay you don't you don't have to do as much preparation you don't have to come up with everything um you know what monsters are going to be there you know what the storyline is um uh Dungeons dragons has an essential kit and a starter kit which are both really inexpensive and if you purchase them they're like 20 bucks 20 30 dollars um, they come with a full campaign they come with character sheets they come with the rule books so if you want something physical those i i always recommend you can find tons of them online um character names uh, especially with new character, uh, new players make them as simple as possible you don't want some crazy long name that no one can pronounce uh, especially because everyone's gonna you, if you're referring to that person in that name uh yeah. it becomes complicated and you as the dm uh, in terms of complication as well things like using voices um i think you know everyone is familiar with critical role because of how big it is um mm. and it i i like critical role but i don't recommend that to anyone who wants to get a sense of what d d is like um only because it's, it's almost like watching a video of a professional chef cooking like this five-star menu and then you're at home yeah. and you're trying to cook, but you don't have the same tools or, or knowledge. Um, but you can still make a tasty meal at home, right? So I wouldn't recommend that. I would actually recommend um, Community did a, a really – the show Community did a really good episode. Uh, I think it's season two, episode 13, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, where they play a game and so you can see what it's like. Uh, You were mentioning earlier, there's that video where there's a father playing with his three-year-old, which is great. And I think those are going to be included in the show notes. So if anyone wants to take a look, it it makes you realize how accessible everything really is. Uh, Mechanics and rules don't go into too much detail. Just make it simple. Like, here's how movement works. Here's how your actions Mm. work. Just let me know what you want to do. And then maps and pieces. You don't have to go. Like you don't have to buy tons of lavish things. Uh, I'm I'm in the middle of like lunch, so I have gummy bears with me, which is not the healthiest lunch. But uh, so if you're if you're playing, especially if you're starting off, all you need is the rules because um, you can use like uh, gummy bears as your as your bad guys or even your players, right? So this right. is my goblin and this is my character. You know, you kill the goblin, you eat them, and then you can just draw stuff out on paper. And then if things are working well, then you can, you know, buy actual miniatures and uh i have a miniature with me yeah you can buy like actual miniatures of characters uh, and you can play around but they're not not necessary so i think keeping things as simple as possible um and then um uh, one great uh, piece of information that i like sharing with with any dm is when you're looking for things if you're searching online if you need something really really quick so uh, if you're using an online um platform like Roll20, there's a directory. So you can search in that space. But you can go to Google and type in a term that you're looking for, but include 5e. So 5e stands for fifth edition, which is Mm. the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons. It'll take you directly to that bit of information. So if I'm Googling um, fighter, then I'll get like the Dungeons & Dragons fighter. I'm not going to get the movie fighter. Um, So it helps you limit those searches and find exactly what you want. Or same thing with wizard, right? I'll get the Dungeons & Dragons wizard information. I won't get Harry Potter. Yeah. players are going to do what you don't expect them to do we talked about this earlier where i had players that would not touch a bridge because they thought it was booby trapped and spent an hour and a half and i'm just just crossed the bridge so having a general framework of you know where you want them to be or maybe who you're going to encounter um but don't stop them from getting there themselves um if you find that they're not doing it a great thing to do is in- introduce an npc so a non-playable character mm. have someone show up who pushes them in a certain direction so um, have someone show up and just like, oh, hi, new travelers. Um, are you guys headed to this town? I'm going too. Let's cross the bridge. And you have them cross okay. the bridge, and that showcases that, you know, it's right. it's safe. Um, so you know, bring in external elements to show them that maybe there's another way. Um always try and get feedback, like build in a feedback mechanism so you can say you know, what worked, what didn't work, what would you like to see for next time? Mm. Um, I like that last line, because especially if you're doing it as a program, what would you guys like to see the next time you play? Like you're subtly hinting, like you're going to be back next time when we run this program.
0: Right, um, right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, good. So,
1: yeah, so those are like, so I, I guess, some of the the main tips that that I would mention. Um I would say also, if you're, you're doing it as part of, you know, you're a teacher a librarian, a community worker, if you can pair with someone, cause then you can debrief afterwards. So like, if you're the one who's running it, you're in your head, you're, you're dealing, you're juggling a lot of balls. So the mm. other person can watch from an outside perspective. You could talk about what worked, what didn't work, and then you can just build off of it next time, but don't be afraid to include your participants in that conversation. Like, what do you like? What would you like to see?
0: Yeah. I think that's a huge point is, I mean, as a teacher, I, I always implement a pre, mid, and post survey to my students just for my own benefit. And I ask, like, what do you expect from this class? What do you want to learn? Um, And then mid-class ask, are we meeting your expectations? What's working? What's not working? Is there anything you'd change? Um, And then the last part is, like, how did it go? I think that's super important. And then I like to point. If you have someone to debrief with, that's like huge because you're going to be able to work through not just in your head, but out loud what's working and what's not working. Cool. Um, so we're going to move into our game. But before we do, do, you have any last words of advice or anything we didn't talk about that you want to kind of bring up and share?
1: Um, if you're going in person, one of the things I'd recommend is if you can create um, some tool sets of just things that you can hand out to players. So just like a board game, if you have a player turn card that says, you know, on your turn, this is the different actions that you can do. Um, or if, you know, there's magic in the world, if you have a, a tracker that shows, you know, how many spells you have left, it makes it a lot easier because that's something that you don't then have to track as much as the the game master. But it also gives your players a little more agency where they're, they're the ones in charge of um, managing what their characters are doing. And those you can easily find online. Um, and I we actually linked, so I created some resources. I have a, a PowerPoint that I did when I made um when I did my um, presentation at work like years ago when I first ran it and I have a a modified character sheet. And so the way the character sheet works is I have a listing of um, the different actions that you can use. And then next to it is just that middle column that I mentioned of the character sheet, which is here's what weapons you have, here's what's in your backpack, here's your health. So it's like, that's your your main chunk. And then you can play with that in just regular dice rolls. You can, if you're starting off, you can ignore some of the bonuses, which simplifies things. And then you can ease people into it that way.
0: Cool. Awesome. Really awesome. So uh, we're going to move into our game. I actually usually prep the guest on what game we're playing, but I forgot to prep you, so it's going to be a surprise. Um, (laughs) We're playing something that is new, too, called the Emoji Challenge. Cool. So... I'm going to share some emojis with you and you have to guess what it is and if you're listening to this on the podcast and not over on youtube feel free to play along with us by trying to guess what emojis i used for the answers so i'm not gonna tell you like the topic or subject i just want to see if you guess it and then if you need a hint i will tell you the topic or subject of the emoji challenge Or the that sounds
1: good.
0: example so the first one Ice, ice, baby. Got it.
1: <laughs> uh, castaway.
0: Ooh, two for two.
1: <laughs> this one's harder.
0: This, this one's a little bit more difficult. I, I wanted to warm you up with some easy ones. <laughs> um, no idea. Do you want? Okay, so hint is it's a brand. Like a company,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Next one. I might
1: need a hint on this one as well.
0: I think the hint might give it away, but we'll go we'll go with a broad hint and say Disney.
1: Oh, uh, Sleeping Beauty.
0: Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> I think this might be the last one. There might be one more.
1: These ones are hard.
0: <laughs> what do you see in the emoji? Plunger man and a cart. <laughs> cart. <laughs> a plunger, a man that uses the plunger. <laughs> and it's a video game video game
1: okay so person uses the plunger janitor cart oh mario kart
0: mario kart yeah (laughs) oh this is the last one cats (laughs) i mean it could be it could be cats
1: oh uh no i was gonna say tiger king but that's those that's not even accurate to what the pictures are um
0: (laughs) i mean I only have so many emojis I could work with, so <laughs> the actual actual movie isn't. Oh, I give a hint. It's a movie, so the actual mm-hmm. movie isn't completely accurate to the emoji. But
1: Lion King. I'm just thinking no. movies with cats in them. Um... So
0: Marvel's Marvel movie. Oh, Black Panther. Black Panther, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I think way off. You eventually got them all though. So that's good. (laughs) Um, awesome. So, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your tips. I know I I learned a few things that I'm going to be trying out myself and I know you have a Kickstarter coming up. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? And well, it should be maybe live or just finished when this comes out, but hopefully we get this out when it's still running. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? And if anyone wants to reach out to you, how could, how might they do that?
1: Uh, yeah, so um, I'll talk about the project, then I'll, I'll give you my, my Instagram handle. So um, I am working on a, a Kickstarter called uh, malicious, uh, Malfunctioning and Malicious Magic Items. So whenever I play D&D with my friends, I'd want to give them um magic items but i I found that any magic item you had usually had some kind of benefit to it and i thought well what if i want to give you something that was made by an incompetent wizard like he's the one who crafted it it doesn't work correctly and so it it just it will blow up in your face so if you're a smart user you know you can use it to its benefit but if you aren't a smart user or you don't investigate your stuff then it's something funny will happen um that can be or may not be detrimental to you um and so it's it's a list of uh, it's it's um a deck of cards that have uh, a number of different items that you have um they're all full of puns so i have oh, cool. one one which is a revenge blade and um when you roll an even number you double damage because you know you're getting even uh, so just <laughs> things like that um so yeah the it's, it's a project that is basically here's a whole bunch of items um they work and they work well if you know how to use them um but if you don't or if you're not expecting them and if you're expecting to use it normally, then it's going to blow up in your face. And uh, I have uh, an awesome artist who's going through. I, I mentioned earlier, it's nice having uh, extra things that you can hand off to players. So I actually have a toolkit that's um, part of it as well, where you have a spell tracker for spells. You have um, a turn card for everyone else. There's a section on like how health works if you die, or you're unconscious. How does that work? Um, so all the different elements, something that you'd find on a Dungeon Master screen is like a more mobile card version of that. Uh, as extra tools so that's that's going to be coming out soon
0: awesome. or Super may cool.
1: have already finished
0: yeah <laughs> it's a time travel <laughs> yeah and then how if anyone wanted to reach out to you or kind of learn more about what you're doing
1: yeah so um i can be reached at uh, inst- on instagram uh, my handle is at hamid.printer um hamid h-a-m-i-d printer like printing and um they can send me a, a private message I'm, I'm always happy to to reach out and talk to people
0: Awesome. Cool. So thank you. Thank you so much again, Hamid, and and good luck or good job on on the Kickstarter project.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me. This was fun. Awesome.